Now we have a, a Bible verse which says something like this. Uh, Jesus has finished his three and a half years of ministry and now he is about to leave his disciples with a mission and he is moving up as it says he ascended into heaven above to be with his father to take on his second role and that was the role of an intercessor but before he left he commissioned his disciples and the commission he gave them is known as the great commission and that is based on Matthew 28 and this is what it says in Matthew 28 it says therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them uh, then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded so this is known as the great commission not just the commission but the great commission that is a mandate he gave to his 12 key disciples to go into all the world now I have particularly drawn the picture here to show you that the active word is the word make disciples and in order to make disciples the associated words are for which you need to go for you for which you need to uh, baptize them for which you need to teach them so that is the activities that go around the central factor of making disciples so that is the great commission that is the job he left for not only his 12 disciples but whoever wants to be a follower of Jesus that is the mandate that has been given to us you see we have a triune God a father son and the Holy Spirit as they are referred to and these three words are their functional names but they are a triune God and the triune God that live in heaven have between the three of them a community and the quality of life is a very unique quality of life and when he's asking us to make disciples he is wanting us to become a community that will reflect this quality that is there among the triune God how they relate how they connect how they um, acknowledge each other how they serve each other how they honor each other and that is what is required so in order for us to learn that we have to be as it were disciples in order to capture that now it is possible some of us must say there are many religions why not I follow this religion now that is not what he's asking for one some of us may say you know why not I convert myself that is not what he's asking for he is a he is God who's saying I we are a triune God we have a community and I want you to enjoy this beautiful community that we have and you and in order for you to belong to this community he came and paved the way for us so that we can go to where he is and he is making us and giving us an opportunity on prepare ourselves and this is the preparation ground to become part of the heavenly community he there was a hostility between God and man because we defected from him rejected him and we disowned him but he didn't disown us so he came to us and by his grace he managed to pay the penalty pay the price so that we will receive his forgiveness this hostility will not only cease but much more than that he reconciled us that we will now have a great friendship with him and now we want to become the kind of community he wanted us to be in the initial ground so that is the starting point this is the great commission which all of us are responsible 
for in some way or the other. A, responsible ourselves to be true followers, true disciples of his, and B, to ensure that all people that we meet, they become followers. Why they become followers? Not for statistics, not for any other number game, but only for one thing, that they may enjoy the quality of divine life they have, that we may become part of each and every one of us. So that's the centrality of the whole thing. He wants us to become his disciples. For us in India, we should not have much difficulty understanding the word disciples because Guru Sishya is a very famous model that works down the centuries. But Jesus, in a similar fashion as it is a, as he something we started in an Asian context, exactly is wanting to follow a Guru Sishya relationship where the disciples, when he's fully trained, becomes like his master. Therefore, he is convincing us not to become mere namesake, uh, believe in some doctrine or some adhere to something but he's wanting us to become like him to be in his own image that's what his goal is and therefore this word of discipleship is very central to his heart this is the commission he has now what are the advantage number one discipleship is an excellent way to prepare the next generation it's an excellent way to prepare the next generation now notice this particular bible verse it says you then my son so this is a guy called paul He's one of the disciples of Jesus, a great church planter, and uh, he wrote bulk of the New Testament. Uh, he's considered to be an apostle, a missionary kind of thing. He's, he's talking to one of his disciples whose name is Timothy. So Paul speaking to Timothy, Timothy, you then my son, and therefore it is not just a follower, but a father-son relationship. You then my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The starting point is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The starting point is what God has done for us in making the way to be reconciled to Him. And now that has been accomplished, this is what you got to do in that grace as you go forward. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So as you can see, there are four generations involved. Paul is saying to Timothy, what you have learned from me, you in turn entrust to third generation, the reliable men, who will also be qualified to teach others. He described something about me, he met me 15 years ago, that's what he said. And then something has been transmitted, a relationship and established. He introduced me as his father. I feel honored. I don't feel qualified, but he feels me like that. So that's fine. And if I were to say to him, I would say, son, go and do it. And when he said to me, I want to plant 100, what can be better than that? I said, go ahead. I'm with you because that's what he's saying over here. And so uh, uh, that's what I said. You, my son, Paul is saying, son, my Timothy, you go and do that. So there is a ongoing generation. Here's a picture that can possibly represent how it goes on making disciples who then go and make disciples that are there. And we got to ensure that goes on happening. Secondly, discipleship is an effective way to bring about multiplication. It's an effective way to bring about multiplication. Now I want you to compare two sets of things. Let me just tell you a couple of stories before I tell you that statistics. I began my ministry about 38 years ago. 
in a church building he was mentioning called uh, Bombay Baptist Church. And we had a morning service and we had an evening service. So I began to tell some of the young people who would come for the morning service, why don't you come for the evening? They said, no Stanley, we can't come. Because once we go back home, we are not allowed to come out again. We have some curfew orders. So I said, uh, why not we do like this? If you have permission to come out, you stay out and then you go home only after the evening service. So we started a special college and career class. That means it was geared to the teenagers and early youths. And that was around evening 4.30. They said, if we stay out, you know, what about our lunch? I said, no problem. You come and have lunch with me. So they decided to stay back and have lunch with me. This team was about a team of seven people. They stayed with me in the afternoon from something like 12.30 to about 4.30. By 4.30, others gathered and we had a great time studying the Bible. Now, um, some of them said, those seven people who were always having lunch with me, they were just telling people, we are having a great time over here in the afternoon time. So others who did not have any curfew, they said, uh, can we also come in? I said, come on. And so they joined in. And so that seven very shortly became 14. And they said, some of them said, began to talk to others. So the word of mouth, it became 22. And then eventually became 45. Now fortunately, the house I lived in is a huge house. A very, very huge house. For in, indeed, for a Bombay standards where most of us live in matchboxes, that was a very big house because it is 4,000 square feet. All right? Maybe, maybe 10 people's houses are in one house. As a result of which, I was able to accommodate all those 45 people. But it's there in that, in that time, not the morning service, not the af afternoon 4.30 Bible study, but in the midst of that teaching, this afternoon, four hours, 12.30 to 4.30, having lunch, chit-chatting, enjoying talks together, that we began to do some adjustments. Adjustments that would help to ensure that those who were relating to me, I was able to adjust their character. I was able to impart some skills. I was able to discover the potential that was there inside them, so look at it and, and get it promoted. I was able to adjust their biblical understanding, their theology of the whole thing, and I was able to inspire them for what God's mission or great commission was. As a result of which these people got fired up, got freed from any issues that were limiting them, character issues that were there, skills that they did not know manifested, they became uh, accomplished in that potential that they had and they got occupied. Now this one of them was a naval guy, so we live that place is next to a naval cantonment area. There's one guy called David Selvin who got fired up so much that he eventually, after many years, quit his job and he went as a church planter in South India in a place called Kunur and he has planted several churches over there. He then led another young man to the Lord by his name called Danny Theophilus. Now Danny Theophilus therefore has gone and planted another church. Now Danny Theophilus has then led another guy uh, into understanding of what Jesus is and what Jesus offers and his name is Andrew. So you can see one generation David Selwyn's second generation, and then you have uh, Danny third generation, and Andrew fourth generation. And this is what the chain goes on as it gets transmitted from one generation to another. And that is what discipleship is the best way to ensure it goes from generation to generation. It's an effective way to bring about not only generational transfer,
but also useful to do a multiplication. Another guy, a, a, a commander from Navy named Mohan, he was with us for several years. He went away to Vizac and uh, long story short, he has planted something like 20 churches and he looks after about 2,000 people. So it just multiplies. So as you look after one or one couple, something happens to them and they go along. So here is one example I wanted to give. And that is I've given a chart over here which says something like this. Suppose we made people who are mere believers, mere technically namesake followers. And I'm not looking for that. But suppose there was one very able person who in the first year was able to make mere followers or mere believers, a mere mental adherence, say a thousand. And the second year he was also effective. He did another thousand. So they became 2000. The third year he led another thousand. So they became 3000. And so it goes on. And for 10 years it becomes 10,000. That's a phenomenal rate of growth. But I am talking about another system called making disciples. One disciple working hard for a whole year to make one more person into a disciple of Jesus. Now remember, the great commission was make disciples, therefore go, therefore teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That means a thorough transformation. It's a transformation of character, transformation of discovering what their potential is, is commissioning them, inspiring them to go and get, them, get the job done and rearranging their thinking process, rearranging God thoughts into their thinking so that their life is ordered in a new way, bringing that community that is in heaven on earth so there is a quality of life which is different. As they get reprogrammed into that system, you have one disciple making one, one disciple or making one disciple. So in the first year, they become two. But the two get on with the job of making disciples. So the two become four and four become eight and eight become 16. And you notice that while the left hand side column speaks about an arithmetic progression, the right hand side becomes a geometric progression. It looks a very, very slow process. When he is going thousand, he's going only two. When he's gone two thousand, goes only four and so and so forth. But if you look at the statistics of nearly 20 years, you will notice this first guy is able to make mere followers, namesake followers of about 20,000 while the discipleship goes on to increase at a geometric and you'll get something like 10 lakh followers. Now this statistics is based on some assumption and therefore it will not fully stand the test of time in full-fledged way. But general principle is true. Now suppose one disciple goes away, then that chain becomes different, all right? We assume that discipleship is finished in one year, which may not be true, it may take two years, sometimes three years. Jesus himself took three years and we are not better than Jesus, so obviously it will require a bit more time, all right? Uh, we have our own human frailties, brokenness and weaknesses. And so in midst of that, God still uses our brokenness, weaknesses to get his job done because at the end of it, it is not our ability, it is his grace that makes the job done. And therefore, Paul said to Timothy, you be in that grace of God and then you do the work of disciples. It is also in the power of God that is there. But even if you give some concession, it just, it still has a phenomenal growth rate that can happen in that whole thing. So it is a fantastic method by which it can lead to multiplication. And I think it is worth the whole uh, pressure that we can do. That's a great commission we have. And we need to do that probably leading one person at a time. And in this making disciple, there is a quality control that also happens. 
You see, sometimes when you have mere followers, mere namesake, believers, whatever you call it, the understanding is very shallow. Suppose you were to only attend this Sunday morning meeting, you will understand something that will make some change in your life. Praise God for that. But how deep would be that work? I'm not sure. But when you are being discipled, there are many close quarter adjustments that would take place. Where I mentioned my house was, the quarters, not house, the quarters that I lived in, we had one room called the tower room. Uh, it is called tower room because there used to be a tower where there used to be a bell. But that bell broke down. So there is tower room is there is no bell there. So whenever I had to adjust somebody, you know adjustment? Confront them. And I would say to them, you know, just come, we'll go to the tower room. And they soon knew what happened in the tower room. It was called open heart surgery. And so, I, I didn't want to do anything whenever it's to do with adjustment publicly. It's always done privately, correct? To keep their dignity, to keep their thing. But nevertheless, it would be adjusted. I would take them. And sometime when I'll say, come to the tower room, they'll say, okay, they'll follow me. And they'll look back at the other fellows and say, pray for me. <laughs> That was the well-known room for the tower room. But many a major surgeries took place and very good things happened. Speaking about one young lad, just in his early 20s, we were traveling together in a train and he was, uh, and uh, we were, a number of us were going for a camp, so we were traveling in a train. And I told him, see, we have to get down at the next station, wake everybody up. So he woke everybody up, long distance train. He was an elderly gentleman. Being an elderly gentleman, uh, he, has he had lost most of his hair and a little bit of hair left on the side. And so he woke up everybody, he woke up this gentleman as well. And then this, this, this elderly man sat up on his berth and he had a small comb and he combed his little bit of hair that he had. So this young lad said to him, don't comb too much, whatever little bit is left, that also will go away. All right. I looked at the expression of both these guys, this guy, young lad speaking to that elderly gentleman. The elderly gentleman was a mature man, he smiled at him. But after the work was over, I took that guy aside, I took him towards the bathroom toilet side, all right? That's my new tower room. <laughs> <laughs> took him aside and says, you know what? That line you made is suitable for someone of your age. That line is not suitable when you're speaking to somebody who's your father's age. It didn't, it didn't go well. He said, really? I said, yes, though he was gracious to smile and let you off, but I think you have violated something. He said, what should I do? I said, we have only one thing to do. Always ask forgiveness, seek forgiveness. Tell him, I'm sorry. So he braced himself and went to him, sat on this berth and said, I'm sorry for the way I handled you. I should not have second. You are like my father figure, but I got carried away. And I said, please forgive me. That man was a thorough mature man. He just hugged him and he said, that's okay. That's all. And they both got out of the birth. But that's the beauty. You see, these things, when they're adjusted, it affects them because their life gets transformed. These are the small, mini things that can trip somebody later on in life. But as they are, as they are washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, there is a remarkable change in their whole life. And that is why the quality of life of that individual becomes very clear, freed of any lacunas and shortcomings that are there. So that is the advantage of discipleship. The quality control is very good. And that, and that is what is helpful. Paul says in a writing in one place called the church of, in a place called Corinth, if anyone builds using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, 
their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss but will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames. What Paul is saying is that in life, we are going through go through certain kind of test. In this place, he mentions it as a fire test. Another place in a book called, the, in one of the part of the Bible called Hebrews chapter 12, he says there is always be a shaking that takes place. So shake test and a fire test is something we periodically go through. We may receive sometimes a sudden illness, sudden sickness, a death of a beloved one, or some national rules will change, or something that will go wrong in your workplace, your boss handles you or mishandles you, you will be going through some fire test and some shake test. At that time, what is inside of you and the quality of life you have built outside will also go through the shake. And it's saying if your work that you have done is built with gold, silver and costly stones, the beauty of this gold and silver is when you put fire to it, it gets refined, only the scum gets removed off. But you get from maybe 20 karat gold, you become 22 karat or 24 karat gold. It refines you. But if your work in your life or in the life of the ministry you have is built with wood, hay or straw, any fire test is going to destroy it completely. You will be okay, but as far as your work is concerned, it will be destroyed. I mentioned to you in the previous chart, the guy who does mere followers, when they go through the test, their faith collapses. And I'm afraid sometimes we may have only a mental, a mental adherence to a faith, not really heart transformer, not really inside out change that is to be brought about. That does not happen. Therefore, when we go through those shake tests or fire tests, it will collapse and we get confused and get disillusioned. But if you allow yourself to be discipled, a you be discipled and you disciple others, the quality is such that when you go through the fire test, it only refines you and does not allow you to go there. So it is a very good method. Thirdly, discipleship gives us is the fruit that abides. It gives us the fruit that abides. Jesus did say in John 15, uh, 15a, he says, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will abide, fruit that will uh, be able to stand the test of shake test and other test as well. And he wants us to ensure that we have good quality control, a fruit that will not be just momentarily, you know, I'm pastoring the churches, Anand is doing, pastoring for many years. And there are sometimes people allow you to uh, work on them, disciple them and their lives is transformed. So when they go through test of time, it doesn't break them down, but it builds them up further. But there are some people who say, no, I want to be, keep me, I want to be at safe distance. I don't want to come too close. I just enjoy from far away. They don't allow in to be transformed. So that transformation does not take place. I sometimes use the example of a magnet. If a magnet is brought near to an iron nail, then that iron nail becomes magnetic. And it is able to attract that iron nail, because it is magnetic, is able to attract small iron filings because it has become magnetic. However, if you took away the main magnet away from it, the iron will go back to its qualities of being an iron and it will no longer allow and no longer attract any more iron filings. 
what we are looking for is not to be under the external influence of someone where we momentarily uh, adhere to whatever is there but moment that external influence is gone we go to back to square one. no we allow if you take that magnet and rub it over that nail about 200 times then that nail automatically becomes magnetic you take away the main magnet now that iron nail itself becomes magnetic there is a total internal transformation and there is a long lasting magnetic effect that makes an impact on other lives and therefore Jesus is saying you did not choose me I have chosen you appointed you so that you may you might go and bear fruit and fruit that abides a long lasting fruit so discipleship is one way to produce that long lasting fruit now here is Anand uh, Anand I do not know when I came last time to your church maybe two years ago let's say two years ago now if Anand was a mere attender of my church in Kolaba that I pastored then and then he went to plant this church I do not know whether he'll carry the DNA on which our church there holds on to he will build it to whatever he feels is right and I would be concerned because he may go somewhere to the right or to the left and I'll have to come every month to say no 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 like this no no like this and I would be anxious about what he does but if he's a son if he's a disciple truly sense he's himself magnetized with the qualities hopefully I have been magnetized with my leader then I don't have to worry I, I can come after two years I can come after five years but I know what he does in a sense will be exactly the same thing that he would do that remember the first chart I drew the guy who produced mere adherence and the guy who did the discipleship when you have mere adherence then the danger is it's only an external conformation sometime rather than internal transformation the discipleship produces that internal transformation a total inside out change release them they will go and do exactly what is that Jesus finished his work in three and a half years commissioned them and he went away in three and a half years that is amazing because he had trained them up so well and they then went and shook the whole world they made the world upside down or better still they brought the world right side up that's what they went and produced the whole thing so that's what God wants us to do a fruit that abides fourthly discipleship is consistent with biblical living there are many examples in the Bible if you go always find the word disciple always used right from Old Testament as well as New Testament and there are examples in the Old Testament there are names like Moses who discipled a young man called Joshua then eventually Moses died and Joshua became the commander to take on the people of Israel into the next phase but he was fully discipled by Moses so was Elijah a prophet who groomed another disciple another prophet called Elisha and Elisha did the same thing with another girl called Gehazi uh, of course Gehazi got sidetracked with some money issues and then it, he ruined himself but nevertheless he was that issue of discipleship was there Isaiah he had his disciples and even have not only men but also have women folk there is a lady called Naomi and who discipled none other than her own daughter-in-law so there is there is hope even for mother-in-law and daughter-in-law there is a discipleship that can happen in the Bible this miracle still work and there is a guy called Mordecai who was a cousin to his uh, sister Esther some say it was a niece but doesn't matter cousin Esther but a man who drew, uh, discipled his relative and that's what you have in New Testament we have John the Baptist and he had his disciples Jesus of course well known for his 12 disciples Barnabas <coughs> discipled Paul Paul went disciple Timothy and Titus Barnabas went and disciple John Mark and the Bible also speaks older women who can disciple 
younger women, how to love their husbands and so on and so forth. So these are all discipleship examples and therefore when we become disciples, we are actually aligning ourselves to a biblical community and as I said, we are reflecting the divine community and bringing it on earth. Jesus did teach us a prayer known as the Lord's Prayer and one of the phrases in that is like this, let your government come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means he is wanting us to reproduce the quality of life that is among the Trinity and bring it down into a human relationship. So discipleship is an excellent way to bring forth that polar thing. Now, if you don't do that, this is what happens. It says, Moses did the work for Joshua. Joshua managed to teach a bunch of elders, but the elders failed to produce disciples. This is what happened. Look carefully. People served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. That means people were following. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, gathered to their fathers means they died and were buried, another generation grew up who were not disciples, so they knew neither the Lord, neither what he had done for Israel, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. Those were some local idol gods. And they got of their fathers and they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They forgot their moorings, they forgot their values, they forgot the mission, they forgot their character, they forgot their destiny. They, they, they lost their theology in that process. Then grew a generation which forgot everything. But if Moses had discipled Joshua, Joshua discipled the elders, and elders had carried on the work of discipleship, this tragedy would not have taken place. And then there was absolute chaos. If you read this, one of the books in the Bible called Judges, it is an absolute story of chaos after chaos after chaos. And periodically God had to raise some leader to bring some law and order. But it was a life of chaos. That's what happens when you fail in that realm of discipleship. And you will notice that, um, you know, uh, you have heard of the Tata group, the founder, Jamshedji Tata and then his sons and then you have J.R.D. Tata and you have Ratan Tata and then you notice that they are following on. They are producing sons and disciples. That quality of what Jamshedji Tata started is still carrying on after nearly 150 years. The same quality of life continues on. Tatas are well known for their certain ethics and values and that carries on in them and through their uh, work that they do in their corporate circles. You will find similar stories in many other uh, uh, corporates in our land. Now, they are more faithful in doing it than us. And Jesus said, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of life. We, who have been taught by Jesus about discipleship, sometimes we fail in our great commission. He wants us to be true disciples, submit ourselves to a leader who can guide us, and then we in turn go out and make the same discipleship. Fifthly, Jesus, sorry, discipleship draws us to Jesus. And here is Paul saying, I am jealous for you. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised, to you, promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Uh, Paul is saying, I'm grooming this church of Corinth so that I will fashion you, shape you, purify you, mold you, so that you will be like a bride ready for the marriage and to be married as it were to Jesus Christ. He's using a marriage analogy to use the church example. He's talking about refining the members of the church, purifying them, 
commissioning them, empowering them and helping them to build their particular potential. That's what he's saying. And therefore, we, we are supposed to uh, prepare them for Jesus. You're not making disciples after our own self. We are making disciples after for other people. We need to be, do that. And Bible says in another place, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You see, our goal is to become a miniature Jesus, to become like Jesus, to conform to the values that Jesus has. Now, Jesus has various qualities. He is a holy God and we are a broken, damaged, uh, unrighteous people. But our, his goal is he has redeemed us, washed us, cleansed us so that through the brokenness we can be changed and we begin to reflect the qualities of Jesus. Now, right near, not far from here is a road called Mahatma Gandhi Road. In every city, major city in India, the main one big road is called Mahatma Gandhi Road. And because it is the main road, the number of people walking on Mahatma Gandhi Road are the highest. You agree with me? But how many walk in the footsteps of Mahatma Gandhi? Now that is another thing. So there is a place we can merely mentally adhere to so-called be followers of Jesus, but quite another thing to become a true disciples of Jesus. This is what we are talking about, becoming disciples, just as I mentioned. And therefore, the goal is to become, as you say, Mahatma Gandhi and his disciples. We are talking about becoming disciples of Jesus. And Paul's goal is to make people more and more disciples of Jesus. There is another place, uh, there is a dialogue between God and Moses, and the people have you know, failed somewhere. So God is telling Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt, they have done this mess. But Moses is very clear. These people are not his. He is not the owner of the people. They belong to God. So he says, Lord, actually, they belong to you. So he says, Lord, your people, whom you brought out of it, your mighty hand. In other words, if I may just apply it over here. Thank you for using all those nice words about me, Father and everything, bless you. But you are, don't really belong to me, you belong to Jesus. You are to be shaped and you are to be devoted to Jesus. If you become more and more like Jesus, I would feel fulfilled. In the process, I will decrease and you will increase. Christ will increase in your life. And in turn, Anand and Ajita, you in turn would do the same. You would make each one of us a disciple of Jesus. So in the long process, you will decrease and their relationship with God will increase and the role of Jesus will become greater and greater in that whole process. So each one of us will become a person drawn to Jesus. We are not making disciples to follow after me, but to make you followers after him. So he say, follow the pastor because he's following the master. All right. So that's where it is. You belong to him. That is what it calls. So discipleship draws us to Jesus. The discipleship must echo the words of John the Baptist. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease in the life of his people. And I think that is what, as I close, I want to close with two things. One is to give you a story and then uh, ask you some questions. The story is like this. Uh, <clears throat> there are every community is well known for some qualities. All right? Each, every community. The Gujaratis are known for their Right? So you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so every community is known for something. There is one community that is called the Marwadis. Right? The Marwadis are known for certain qualities. What is that? You will know better. All right? But the Marwadi was once sh uh, showing his hand to a palmist. We may not believe in palmistry, but it's an illustration for my... I have to use some illustration. So this illustration. So he's, he's giving his palm reader this palm. 
So the palmist looks at his hand and he says, my, 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 my. Oh. So the Marwadi is a little concerned. What does this my, 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 my mean? And Marwadi says, oh. So he says, please tell me. You said, oh. You know, but please tell me what does that oh mean? So the palm reader says to him, you have this line and this line is crossing this line and meeting this line. It means you are going to be so blessed. You are going to be so blessed. You are going to be so, so, so blessed that you will earn wealth that will last you for seven generations. When the Marwadi heard that, he just fainted. I would. Anyway, he fainted, seven generations. And so they sprinkled water on him and revived him and made him sit down. And he sat down. He was in a better calmed composure after some time. And his relatives gathered around him. He's saying, you would be gathering funds, money, acquiring that will last you for seven generations. He said, yes, yes. He said, I'm sure you got overwhelmed with this news that you're going to earn so much that last you for seven generations and it's a sheer joy that you fainted. He said, no, I fainted because of sheer depression. He said, sheer depression? What are you depressed about? He said, I was worried about my eighth generation. <laughs> I want to say, even the Marwadi is worried about the eighth generation. Eighth generation. But what about us concerned for the next generation? And Jesus wants us to be willing to disciple and be discipled. And that is his heart and would be to God that we will become disciples because that is the great commission. And as I close, here are a few questions to ponder. Uh, to ponder. Who is discipling you? Which means, who is adjusting your character? Who is imparting you a theological, biblical understanding of how the community in heaven behaves so that you can align yourself with that community? Who is helping you to develop the skills that God-given skills so that it can blossom and you can rise to your full potential? And who is inspiring you to press on towards your mission that God has given you? These four things. Who is discipling you? Secondly, whom are you discipling? How are you helping someone to shape their character, shape their theology, shape their mission, and shape their destiny? Are we raising the next generation or are we going to fail or are you going to drop the ball will the will the baton be dropped and uh, are you are you disciples multiplying to the third are, are your disciples multiplying to the third and the fourth generation and finally and the best and the most important part are we becoming more like jesus and if you feel there are some qualities they are not like jesus go to someone and say you have walked with the lord for many years you are a mature person would you help me and see if there is anything that is not aligned with this divine community i want to become more like jesus would you help me let's pray shall we let's bow our heads just take about 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds to reflect on inside it is jesus who is giving us the great commission go and make disciples of all nations. It is a great commission. How would we respond on the day of judgment as we stand before him? What is the quality of life of our own? Is it looking more and more like Jesus? Are we walking by his grace and the work he has done on the cross? And secondly, are we helping others? Are we investing in the lives of people, making them more and more like Jesus. If not, is there anything you would like to say, Lord, help me 
I want to be more aligned with you. Make a short prayer in your mind, quietly. Whatever business you win to transact, whatever is the Holy Spirit telling you, you do that. And after a few seconds, I will make the last prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe my friends have prayed the prayer to embrace more of your heart and your heart is that we will make more disciples because that's the price you paid. You yourself modeled it for us. You commissioned your disciples that they will go and make disciples. You not only prayed for your disciples, you prayed for those who would become disciples through his disciples. So Lord, we pray that we'll embrace the same quality that you had, that we will bring forth on earth your heavenly quality, that the way you relate in the divine trinity, we will reproduce that on earth. Help us, Lord, to build a community that will reflect that. For that, Lord, we want to submit ourselves to someone, to some people who will shape us, mold us, help us to reach our destiny. And I pray that we will in turn do with others. And as we have made this decision, some of us have prayed, I pray you seal this decision by the power of the Holy Spirit. And hereafter, Lord, remind us regularly so that we will pursue what we have decided today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.